0: I was in a band for many years, some of you know that story, and we would go on these road trips and one of the things that we used to do to each other was we would try to very subtly implant a song in people's heads. You have to do this very carefully, just so that they would start singing something and not know where it came from. For instance, we might, I might be driving and I might just very quietly start going, yeah, it's a after. And then pretty soon, someone else in the van is singing it, and I'm like, victory. Or it might be, we all live in a year. Anybody? Yellow Submarine. See, you're welcome. You're welcome. Glad you came today. So there's a song in the 60s that uh, I often have had in my head over the past several weeks as I've been studying for this series. And this, this song came out in the 60s. It goes something like this. I fought the law and the Law one, yeah. You're welcome. You'll be remembered that later. And it's interesting, and I, I grew up I grew up in the 80s. And in the 80s there was a an artist named John Cougar Mellencamp. and he had a song called Authority. And it went something like this: When I fight authority, authority always wins. Okay, some of you you know these songs. Law and authority these are things we don't often like to talk about. These aren't things you sit around the dinner table and talk about. They're not, you know, around the water cooler at work. These aren't things that you often find at the tip of your conversations. Because law and authority, they're they're kind of subjects we like to shy away from. It's almost like when, when someone tells you not to do something, you know, you wanna do it. Like there's something about us that's a bit rebellious. So when it comes to law and authority, oftentimes we're not talking about it until we violate it, or we we know there's consequences coming. And so law and authority can be things that we don't want to talk about, because we often question the status quo. We want to push against things like like, like the law. And so, as we think about, say, the church and scripture, we know we have uh, the copies of the scriptures, and in especially the Older Testament section of the Bible. We call it the Old Testament. We'll talk about that in a little bit. might not be the best name for it. But in the, in the Scriptures, we have laws and, and, and things that we're supposed to do. And, and, and so oftentimes, those are sections of the Bible, at least for Christians, we often avoid. I mean, the, 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 kind of the, the, the consensus there is, well, we don't need all those Old Testament laws and things like that and Israel and all that because we have Jesus, Therefore, we don't need to know anything about that, all that Old Testament stuff, that law stuff. We don't need it because we, we have Jesus. That reminds me of another song from the 80s. I think that many might even be singing that. What's law? What's law? Got to do, got to do with it. Anybody? Okay, all right. I'll quit with the 80s songs references. But we often skip over those parts of the Bible because they're, they're difficult and, and, and kind of hard to wade through. But we're kicking off this new series Today, glad you're here. If you're a first-time guest with us, this is awesome that you're in on the very beginning of the series. Uh, we're going to be in it you know, today and then the next six weeks. And we're looking specifically at what we call Torah. Now, Torah, that's a, a term that we don't often use very often. But Torah is a Hebrew word for law. In English, we would call it law. And, and the Torah really is the first five books of the Bible. So you're talking Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. By the time this series is over, I hope you know those, those, those books in order. But we're talking about the first five books. It's also been known, in fact, in Jesus' day, it was known as the Law of Moses. The Law of Moses. And so that's what we're going to be focus on, focusing on, on this series. And, and we got to understand this from the beginning, that Torah, or law is not the way that we often think about law. When we think about law, we're thinking like, you know, the legal stuff and the, the penal code and things like this. You know. but, but for the Hebrew people, law, Torah, meant a life guidance. So we almost need to rethink uh, the, the whole idea of law because the way that they thought of it was God helping shape us as a people. Actually, God helping us understand the way to live. And isn't that interesting? And we're going to see this over and over again. The Old Testament is connected to Jesus all the time. What did early Christians, what were they called before they called them Christians? They were followers of the way. Isn't that interesting? Already, with the concept of law for the Old Testament uh, Jewish nation, they thought of law as the way of life. And Jesus will show us the way. So that's what we're looking at this series. And, uh, and, and you know, when you look at your Bible, in fact, some of you brought your printed Printed Bibles, and I love that. Go ahead and grab your Bible. If you've got a printed version or if you've got an online version, go ahead and grab that. And I, I mentioned this in the Wednesday email. Some of you may not get the Wednesday email. I want to re- remind you, hey, if you're not getting that, it's just some things I usually put out every uh, every Wednesday morning generally. And it's just talking about things that, that God's been doing in, in, in my heart and kind of some things I believe He's leading us to. And I mentioned that we were going to be starting this series this weekend and that sometimes it's nice to have a printed Bible with you. So if you have one that's your go-to printed Bible, I've got one here. It's pretty rough and beat up, and uh, but I love it. So uh, if you have a printed Bible, I encourage you to have that with you every week weekend, because we're going to be looking at chunks of Scripture that are going to be super crucial. And sometimes when you when you open the Bible, right, for the first time, you'll notice there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. I actually think the term Old Testament doesn't really fit well, because old makes us think it's archaic and unimportant and unnecessary. It makes us think in that term. But actually, the, 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 the Old Testament section would be better titled the First Covenant, or the First. Testament. And so we're going to be talking about that whole concept as we get started today. And when you open the scriptures, you're also going to see a zoom out and zoom in effect, kind of like a camera lens. You think about the opening pages of scripture. We got a big wide lens. We got you know, universe being created, planets spinning around, God creating how things are supposed to work. So we've got a wide angle lens. Think about all those NASA pictures we're getting from telescopes all out there in the universe. God is doing big stuff. So we've got a big wide lens. And then it starts to focus in like you're focusing a lens on a couple humans. And we call them Adam and Eve, right? And so we get to see their story. And then humanity sort of has some issues, quite a few issues. And so we we zoom in and zoom out all the time. We zoom out because humanity starts to populate the earth. And then God has to to step on that because they're all evil. And so then they get the flood. And then we zoom in to one family after the flood. Anybody know the names of those people? Noah and his family. So you'll see that over and over again. We get the zoom out and zoom in effect. In fact, the way that, you know, so, so Torah starts with Genesis, big wide lens creation, all that. And it ends very focused in Deuteronomy is the last of the Torah, the last of the books of Moses. Deuteronomy ends with Moses' death. So we were wide and then we're very focused on Moses there at the end. And the hope is, why are we doing this? Well, the hope is that you'll understand how these five books all lead to Jesus. That's why we titled the series, The Law Leading to Jesus, because we believe as a church family that the Bible is a single cover-to-cover story of God's great love revealed in Jesus Christ. We believe that. And so that's why it's important for us to look at this backstory because the backstory is his story. And so that's why we're looking at this. And my hope is you'll know how to unpack this a little bit more once we're done with these weeks. You'll understand a little bit more about Torah and how that fits and how that leads us to Christ. And that affects our faith today. So I'm Pastor Ben. I'm so glad you're here again. If it's your first time with us, awesome that you're here. We gather on Sundays, the first day of the week, like Christ followers all over the globe. And we meet because about 2,000 years ago, This Jesus of Nazareth was born in a a miraculous way, lived a perfect life, did great, great things, miracles, taught wonderful things, lived a perfect life, and then through the tragedy of of a trial, uh, he went to death on a cross. It was always God's plan, but then on the third day, on a Sunday, rose from the dead and changed human history forever. That's why we gather, take a big, deep reset today, a big, deep breath. And let's lean into what God has for us as we start this Torah series. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you. We thank you because your great love for us revealed to us in the scriptures. Help us to lean in. Help us to hear from you, to hear from your word, and and, and be encouraged and challenged to live out your word more and more in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods. And may may you do your work through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you got your Bible in your handy. Again, we're looking at the first five books, and for, for me in this this. This version, I've got about this much room, about 187 chapters. And uh, but before we get there, I want to set some ground rules. And this will be ground rules for the series. And the first one is this. We often, in modern, our modern worlds, we'll look back at people in history and think, well, they were so much less intelligent than we are now. We're so advanced. We, we, we're so much smarter than they used to be. I think C.S. Lewis calls that intellectual snobbery or kind of a modern snobbery that we kind of look back at oh, those, all those ignorant people. Look, the reality is here's ground rule number one. The ancient Hebrew people were not unintelligent, misguided, or dumb. They were not unintelligent, misguided. Or they were people just like you and me. They were normal humans. These ancient Hebrew people uh, were trying to figure out life, trying to understand faith. So they're like us, humans like us. That's the first ground rule. So we don't want to make that mistake of thinking they were just, you know, these, these ignorant people back then. Number two is this. The law is actually a good thing. I mean, think about it. law is actually a good thing. Law creates the ability for freedom. You know, the law says that I can't come and steal your property. And so you have the freedom to own some property. I mean, that's, that's how law works. Law and freedom work together. So law, second ground rule, is actually a good thing. We need guardrails, and here's the third thing: God didn't change His mind and go to a plan. Jesus was not God's Plan B. God didn't get up there and He's He's creating everything and like, okay, humans, here we go, bam, humans, do your thing, and then they just and then God's up there, man, I did all this work, and now I got to figure out a Plan B. Jesus was not Plan B. In fact, right at the moment of human failure. Jesus has talked about. We'll get to to that in a a few moments. But so those three ground rules, right? The ancient Hebrew people were were not, you know, unintelligent. Number two, law is actually a good thing. And number three, that God didn't change his mind. Jesus was not plan B. So let's talk about the the five books. Five books, I sat down to try to read through it. And uh, about two and a half hours in, I finally finished Genesis. How many people in here have actually read Genesis? Maybe at least once. Okay, not for the faint of heart, right? There's a lot going on there. But then I started going through the rest of the books. <clears throat> By the time I got through all five books, I'm six plus hours into this experiment. Now, I realize that that's a lot to, to ask you to do, but you've got seven weeks here, okay? Today, six more weeks after this. I, I, my, my, my encouragement and challenge to you is read it through. You don't have to do it all in one setting. Maybe some of you are more audio type folks. Now it does take a little bit longer to listen to audio unless you speed it up like one and a half times, which is what I usually do. Uh, But I encourage you, we got got some time. Get each of the books into your heart and actually read through them, listen to them Sometimes You got some time now and and I want you to do that. So let's just do a quick overview. This is like uh, 187 chapters in a few minutes or less. So you have Genesis. We got creation, right? Genesis 1 and 2. If you've got your Bible here, that's the very beginning. Genesis 1 and 2, right? Uh, creation. Great things happen. Genesis 3. Uh, then there's a fall. And what happens is God uh, creates this wonderful thing and then creates humans. And by the way, what does he call all these things he's been creating? Saw that it was good. Creates humans and calls it very good. The Hebrew word there is tov. So God's creating good things, good creation. Uh, then we get to chapter 3, and, and there's this fall because God said, hey, there's one tree, one, one thing I just want you to do, one thing, one. Don't eat from that particular tree, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of tov and ra. Those are the, the Hebrew words. Don't, don't eat from that one. The deceiver comes and said, well, did God really say that? Then you have Adam and Eve making that fateful decision. After that, you see humanity struggling. Struggling and struggling. We have the Tower of Babel. Then the humans, they start you know, making it worse and worse and worse. And then there's this worldwide flood that happens. And, and, and then after that, uh, we, we see the, the beginning of, of Abraham's family. we we got Abraham coming in around chapter 11, somewhere in there. you got Abraham, and that's going to set up most of the Old Testament. Because what you have then is Abraham's family. Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. Right? You know, some of, these, some of these, the, these names. And they did some amazing things. So, so you end uh, Genesis uh, with, with all this. this now this family line. Now we zoomed into a family line. They end right at Egypt. And so this family line that ends with Joseph, they end up then in, 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 in Egypt. That sets up Exodus. Because in Exodus, all these, this family of Abraham has now multiplied. Remember, God told them in, uh, early on, said, be fruitful and multiply. Well, they did that. They answered, they, they answered that call. And by the time they're in Egypt, now they've got a, a good group of people. And so much so that they're, they're now targets by the Egyptian government. And the Egyptian government decides, hey, we're going to make them slaves, do, do our labor. And that sets up Moses in Exodus and, and, and the big rescue from the nation of Egypt and the slavery and the setup for a new nation that God is going to covenant with them. And then we get to so that's that covers Exodus there, and uh, they spend about a year in Sinai getting the covenant, this new law for these new people for this new country, and uh, we get we get an, a, about a year there. After that happens, then uh, then the people start getting prepared to to meet with God because. Uh, they were struggling being in God's presence. They had said, Moses, you do it because he's too scary. And uh, then there's this covenant, but the people break it. And then so God has to say, okay, well, Leviticus is all about trying to figure out how, how these sinful people can actually be close to God. And that's what the whole priesthood is about and, and the feasts and the rituals that happen in Leviticus. And so it's figuring out how God can be with people so that God could be in the tent. And then Moses could actually go into the tent and not have to stand outside the tent. To so how people can react and be close to God, be in their presence. We get to Numbers. We get to this, this preparation for the conquest. And uh, then we get to Deuteronomy, which is basically a retelling of everything, everything that God told them in the covenant. So we have that as our run-through of the first five books. You know what's interesting? Do you know where the Ten Commandments show up? Second book, Exodus. Do you know what chapter or so that the, the, the Ten Commandments show up in? Anybody? Shout it out. 20. Acts 20. So if you think about it, it's weird they call it the, the law of Moses, but actually the law part doesn't actually show up until, you know, halfway through the second book. But it's known as this guidance for people. Uh, so there's three things I want to point out this morning. And, uh, and these are reasons why this, sto- this, this is helpful to understand. Three things that I think are helpful first of all, is understanding the difference between a covenant and a contract. So we're going to look at what a covenant actually means, because that's what God is doing with the peoples, making a covenant, not some kind of paper legal contract. Number two, there's the definition of good and evil. Tov, good, ra, evil. So we're going, to look, we're going to talk about that for a second. And then finally, we're going to see how Jesus fulfills the law of Moses. And we're going to see that in Matthew 5 and other passages. So, Let's start with with the idea of covenant. You're familiar with that term, probably, covenant. What does that mean? Well, one scholar said it this way. Contracts are limited by the terms of the exchange of property. This is yours, this is mine. While covenants involve an exchange of life. I am yours, you are mine. Which covers a virtually unlimited range of human relations and duties. In terms of motivation, contracts are based on profit and self-interest, while covenants call for self-giving loyalty and sacrificial love. So very different worlds, contracts are very different than covenants, and God was creating covenants with his people, and that word shows up many, many times. The Hebrew word called berit is the idea of covenant, and and in that, we see several examples of covenants. In fact, it shows up right at the beginning of of when humanity is created. Adam and Eve, they make a covenant together as, as the two becoming one. So there's a covenant. There's an example of a covenant. Uh, another one shows up with Noah. After the flood happens, what does God do? What does he say about, uh, is he going to do this thing again? He makes a covenant that God, he says, I will never destroy the earth with a flood. Never do that again. So he makes a covenant with them. And, and, and to seal that covenant, he puts like a rainbow in the sky. So you, you know that story a little bit. That's another example of a covenant. Uh, how about uh, Abraham's family? So in Genesis 12, God says, hey, you're going to be, you know, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, and you're, you're going to have as many kiddos as the stars in the heaven. And, and in fact, you're, you're, your family is going to be a blessing to all, all the world. And so there's another covenant God makes with Abraham and his family. And then, of course, we just talked about this, but then you had this covenant that happened when, when God had rescued all the people through Moses and some other leaders, rescued all the Hebrew people out of Egypt, and brought them to uh, Mount Sinai. There was a covenant there. So once again, many examples of covenants. And so that's a really important key to understanding how God is working with his people, Israel, and how he's working with us in covenant. Now let's talk about good versus evil. Good versus evil. So when God's creating the world, he's saying this is happening in every stage, he's calling it, he looked at it and he said, this is good, right? Then, Then he gets to creating humanity. And he says, that's very good. The word there is tov. So what you see at the beginning is God doing good things. That make sense? God's making good stuff. Things are good. Things are good. Humanity comes and we see the first inkling of that other word, evil, ra. What happens is the deceiver comes and Adam and Eve decide uh, to to, to disobey what God has said. And we get this entrance now of, of evil. And so what God intended for good, you know, good creation, humanity comes in and sin threatens that good. Raw, evil, begins to threaten God's good world. What God intended for for good, man has started to now twist and and, and mean it for, for evil purposes. You know, in that moment... God says, hey, uh, here's, here's the way it's going to work. Just watch out for this tree. This is not a good one. God sets the, God, the, 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 the framework for good and evil. And then humanity right away decides, well, we're gonna, we want to make our own de- definitions of good and evil. And so they make that faithful decision to, to bite that apple. I, would, I wonder if the story would have been different. Have you ever thought about this? Like what if in Genesis 3, you know, they, they, they see that the, it's, it's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There you go. Tove and Raw, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. is so there in the garden. And then Adam and Eve are there, and uh, they're together, clearly. Uh, and at some point, uh, the, the, the serpent, the deceiver, Satan, uh, comes in and says, you know what, did God actually say uh, that, that you're going to die if you eat from this? And so uh, you know the story. Eve, she, she takes a bite, then hands it to her hubby. And then God confronts them. And it's interesting when God confronts them, he finds them and they're like trying to hide and they're, they're making, you know, coverings for themselves on their bodies. And, and, and so they have this confrontation, but neither one of them, think about this, how different it would have been if, if Eve or Adam had said, you know what, God, I'm sorry. I screwed up. I owned it. I I ate a bite of that thing. It was my, my fault. Would you please forgive me? Nobody ever says that. What do they do? When, when, when Eve is confronted, what does she say? Snake. That's the problem. And then when Adam, he gets his big turn, he steps up to the plate, he can, he can take ownership. What does he say? Eve. Who, who God, you gave me. So in that sense, it's probably your fault, God. I don't know. Everybody's passing the buck. Nobody says, I'm sorry I screwed up. I mean, the story might have been, been a little different. I don't know. Might have been shorter. I, I don't know. I mean, it's always planned. God's plan to have Jesus come, but I always wonder about that. Nobody owned up to it. Later in Genesis four, you have these two brothers. You know, Cain and Abel. You know, and, and, and Cain kills Abel. Any apology there? No, no apology. God confronts Cain. Said, "Hey, wh- where's your brother, or whatever?" And yeah, Cain has the audacity to look at God. and "Say, well, am I supposed to keep track track of him? It's not really my job. He says, you know, I didn't sign up for that." No apologies whatsoever what, what would, have, would have been like if, if, if people would have owned their sin but the thing is even in Genesis 3 what God intended for good humans start to twist for their own purposes make their own choices decide they're going to be the ones who who determine what's good and evil but even there in Genesis three fifteen, we learn about a snake crusher that one day God is going to send a snake crusher who's going to defeat evil and sin and death for good and you know who that is Jesus. We learn about Jesus in Genesis 3.15, not even a few pages into the Bible. What, what God intended for good, humans wanted a twist for evil. And here's the last thing, Jesus fulfills the law. Jesus fully took care of the law. Jesus' ministry, his life, death, burial, all of that, not only handled the Torah, right? All those laws, but also God's justice, all in, in, in one amazing Uh, life. Listen to what Colossians says about that. Colossians chapter 2, and you who were dead in your trespasses and, and, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to a cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Both Galatians and Hebrews, these are New Testament books now, in the New Testament part, both Galatians and Hebrews make the case that Jesus is not only the fulfiller of the first covenant, that whole covenant that God made at Sinai, Jesus fully took care of that covenant, but then Jesus is going to offer a new and better covenant, not in written laws on stone, but through his own blood. So Jesus is going to be not only the fulfiller of the first covenant, but the issuer of the second covenant more beautiful covenant. L- listen to what, what, what writer Paul, one of the early church leaders, said about that. He said in Galatians 3, 24, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So this Old Testament stuff, sometimes that we avoid as Christians, this is, this is the backstory to his story. And so we learn these things, that, they, that the Old Testament was kind of this idea of helping people get ready for Jesus as a teacher or a guardian or a schoolmaster. Jesus' life and teachings brought all of God's plans for humanity into completion. Listen to what uh, Jesus said himself in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now what he's doing there is he's reminding them of Deuteronomy 6 in the Shema. He's reminding them, and he adds to the Shema with, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus in that one statement is saying, I fulfilled it all, and and, and I'm going to focus things down for you now. Now it is righteousness by faith is how the New Testament writers are going to talk about it. Not by the, the, the codes and trying to get all the rituals right and all of that. Now Jesus has fulfilled that. There's a new way, a new covenant and, and so loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself, this is the, now the new uh, way to fulfill the law by faith. So Jesus, the point is, Jesus is the fulfillment of all that law. He fixed what humanity screwed up. Jesus' coming fixed what humanity screwed up. And, 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 and Jesus told his followers in Luke 24, This is what I told you when I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that it's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This is why we study the Torah. This is why we study those first five books. Genesis, come on, you got it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, because they all point to Jesus. They all point to Jesus. In fact, there was a moment in, in John chapter 5, which, which is, is interesting. Jesus confronts some of the religious leaders of his day. And he basically tells them, look, The scriptures all revealed me. Like, you shouldn't be surprised, you teachers of the law, you who are very schooled on all this scripture, you should have known that this was all leading to me. And you missed it. He said, the scriptures all reveal me. In fact, there's this moment where after Jesus rose from the dead, he made some appearances. Quite a few appearances kind of shocked people, even his own disciples. In fact, some of his own disciples were uh, having a little hike on a a road to this town of Emmaus. And this is Luke 24 now. They're having a little uh, conversation. Uh, They're talking about what happened last weekend, the weather, the game. And uh, then they talk about this whole Jesus guy that they were hoping was going to be the Messiah so they're having this conversation, right? Kind of shooting the breeze. Then Jesus comes walking beside him, starts to join their hike, becomes a new hiking buddy. They don't really recognize him. And, uh, and so Jesus is like, hey guys, what's going on? What's, you know, what's happening? Uh, how'd the game go or whatever? You know, small talk for a while there. And they're just like, wow, you won't believe this. We had this, you know, this amazing thing happen with this Jesus of Nazareth guy. And uh, we thought he was going to, you know, he, they put him to death. We thought he was going to be the guy. And Jesus, I don't know how long he could put up with this. Like, was was he just hanging out for a while? He's like, you can't tell me that you didn't get any of it. You were with me for three years. He doesn't say it that way. But, you know, I can imagine what he's thinking. And then, listen to what he says. These are kind of harsh words. So, in, in chapter 24 of Luke, verse 25, listen to this. How foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah, a.k.a. me, have to suffer these things, and then enter his glory. And, so he's got to go back to square one, listen to this, and beginning with Moses, what are we talking about, Torah, beginning with Moses, first five books, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, if you'd studied carefully, you would have seen Jesus. The law leads to Jesus. See, that's why Torah matters. In fact, we say, well, Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the Torah. Well, it's helpful to know that, great, but you need to know what he fulfilled. And that's why we we look to the backstory so we can understand his story a little bit more. And it's interesting, when Jesus fulfilled the law, he took it a step further. Now, now, the people in the first century, when Jesus was talking about law and, and the religious leaders were talking about law, they were talking about, yes, the Ten Commandments, but if you'll notice that the, the, there's more laws than just the Ten Commandments. In fact, in Exodus Leviticus, you see 613 laws. And then by the time you get to the first century, uh, there were rabbis that were adding even more. So uh, just to make it more fun, there were 600 some laws. But then there was a bunch of like mini laws and sub laws and, and deciding this. And, and they started to say, well, don't work on the Sabbath. They spent a whole bunch of time figuring that out. So they, could, they had it down to steps. How many steps you could actually take. So it was a, it really confusing and hard to like even navigate. You had, in fact, there were whole religious jobs called law, uh, lawyers. And that, what was their job? They were, they were trying to help you figure out how to navigate, how to walk, how to live. And it was a burden for the people. It was so much of a burden they couldn't even stand up under it. And so when Jesus came, he fulfilled all of that perfectly, but then he took it up a notch. He took it up. and In fact, he would say, you see this in, in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He would say this often, you have heard it said. Well, what does that mean? Well, you've heard it from the Old Testament teachers, right? You've heard it from your religious teachers. You have heard it said, you should not murder. But I say, if you've got hate in your heart, that's equally important. That's, that matters too. And so Jesus took it up a notch. So not just the external things, it was also your motivation and what you were thinking about. Like the battle is in your mind too. So Jesus takes it up a notch and says, hey, your heart and behavior both matter. Because what people were discovering is, you know, you could technically do all the right stuff externally, get all the rituals right or do your best anyway, and still have a real harbor for hatred in your heart, lust in your heart, anger, greed, all of that could still be there, and you could still technically be doing the external stuff. Jesus said, no, internal and external matter. You are a whole being made in God's image. Our hearts and our behavior matter. So, again, let me ask the question one more time. Why, Why do we study the Torah? Because when we follow Jesus, we fulfill the law. When we follow Jesus, we are following him who fulfilled the law perfectly. And so by following Jesus, we're actually fulfilling the law. And I think about this. Think about the deep desires of our hearts. Even people who are not religious, I think humanity, made in God's image, we long for things like truth and beauty, uh, justice. Uh, We we long for for those who are oppressed or hurting to be cared for. Uh, You think about all those things that are true about all of us as humans made in God's image. Deep down, we want the life that God desired. Deep down, we want the life that God desired. And the reality is, desire often drives our behavior. So what do you desire? Do you desire to walk the way of Jesus? Because deep down, I think, if we're really honest, we want everything that the way of Jesus shows us. And when, when we desire what he desires, his desires become ours. And we begin to walk the way of Jesus. Listen to what Jeremiah 31 says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Remember, that's the Mount Sinai, year at Mount Sinai in Exodus. And uh, Moses couldn't even get the law finished by the time the people were worshiping a golden calf. He says, I'm going to make a new covenant. You're noticing this language now. You know what covenant means. We're going to make a new covenant, not like the one they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, write it on their hearts, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Jesus fulfilled the law and by following him, we fulfill the law. That's why it matters. I mean, learning from these scriptures, they help to ground us in this ancient story that we've been part of, this story that's been going on for eons. It grounds us in that that story that's so much greater than we are. And, and, And we get to understand God's covenant both the first one and the one in Jesus. We get to, 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 to grasp the idea of human sinfulness and how, how oftentimes God intended something for good, but humans would, would, would turn it to evil. I think about that story in the, in, in the life of Joseph. And some of you may know the, the life of Joseph. You can read about him there in the last part of Genesis. But Joseph was one of the sons of Abraham, one of the great, great, great grandsons. And, uh, and he, was, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. His brothers didn't, didn't like him much because he was a little bit arrogant. And he was daddy's favorite and all kinds of things. So you know the family dynamic there. That doesn't always work out. But his brothers take an extreme measure and sell him. And, and, and if you know the story, he ends up eventually in Egypt... Joseph does, and uh, he, he wins favor with, with the Pharaoh, and so he becomes like Pharaoh's right-hand man. Famine hits the land. I'm, I'm skipping a lot of parts here. But famine hits the land, and his original family, all his brothers, have to go and get food. And they don't know that Joseph is now second in charge of the ancient world. And they come down, and Joseph recognizes them right away. But they don't recognize Joseph, because Joseph is now dressed like an Egyptian, speaks like an Egyptian. But that's his brother. And they have to come down. And finally, if you know the story, the family, the, the family's so bad that, that, that Joseph, you know, he finally reveals himself to his brothers. And they're kind of freaking out, but also excited because then they can show their dad that he's not actually dead. And he wasn't, you know. So there's this family reunion that happens. They all come and live in Egypt, which, by the way, sets up the next book, Exodus. But they're all, the whole family's there. And uh, then dad dies. And Joseph and his brothers are left. And his brothers freak out because they think, uh oh dad's not here, they're going to take, re- I'm, Joseph's going to take revenge and kill us all. And what does Joseph tell his brothers? What you intended for evil, rah, God intended for good. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. What looked like a failure, what looked like human evil, God meant for good. You find this this tension all the way through Scripture, but it starts with Torah. So my challenge is to you to to, to read it uh, sometime in the next six weeks or so and, and remember that following Jesus fulfills the law. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you. We thank you so much for your love, your faithfulness, this true cover to cover. We're so thankful for this love letter called the Bible, this anthology of your great love for us from cover to cover that just speaks to how much you love us all the way through to Jesus Christ. Father we're thankful for a chance for hope and freedom help us to be your hands and feet in the world help us to take your good news to, to, to whoever you put in our, in our spheres of influence Father maybe continue to follow Jesus and, and thus fulfill the very life you've created for us we pray this in Christ's name amen to his brother